0: There is a dark place, but I'm not going there. No, no, not on my way. There is a dark place, but I'm not going there. No, no,
1: not on
0: this is or learn parkour a podcast about adhd done by people who have adhd we really really have adhd we super have that brainworm adhd it's all up in there all up in those brains our brains specifically which our... is why we're doing this podcast yes uh thanks so much for joining us for this third episode Ooh, of we made or... it to
1: three we did we made it to three it's a prime number
0: Yeah. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you for that. auspicious, right? I mean, three is commonly seen as a lucky number in many cultures. So yeah. Um, Episode three. Yeah. So we made it to episode three. And that's the main point here. So we made it to episode three. You're still here somehow. So that's on you. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, thanks so much, y'all. The last episode, we shared a little bit about our own ADHD journeys. And listening back, I think we both noticed that our stories were specifically mine. I'm not going to call out Jordan on this one, but uh, specifically my story is a little all over the place. So thank you for sticking with that. And you know, if nothing else, at least it's on brand. At least it tracks with this podcast. Am I right?
1: I don't know what else y'all expected subscribing to this. We'll get there
0: eventually. That is our promise to you. Yes. We will get
1: there eventually.
0: Yes, and we have been learning all new sorts of fun tricks on Audacity. I've just been watching YouTube tutorials. I need to eat something
1: at some point, but I haven't. I've just been on YouTube. Now she is not Jordan. She is Jawdacity. Jordacity? I kind of like that, actually. Jordacity. I feel like if I had a personal brand, like a content brand, where I also maybe like sold shoes and or kitchen appliances, mm-hmm. it would be Jordacity. Like you could go buy a Jordacity
0: toaster oven. It'd be sleek as hell. Cool. Cool, cool. But consider, with Jawdacity, you could have sharks in your logo.
1: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Or Do just you, like, teeth.
0: Teeth. 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 Teeth! Teeth! teeth. teeth. sorry. Yeah, so what are we going to talk about this week? Today we are talking about the medical history of ADHD. Like many other history of mental
1: issues, it's a little bit horrifying when you consider that the the best and most successful things that have happened have been giving children speed.
0: That's yeah. like the high point. It kind of goes downhill from
1: there, but it's a doozy.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Added caveat, we've said this before, we'll say it again, we'll probably say it almost every episode, we are not medical professionals in any sense of the word. I am an anthropologist. I just got a theater degree, so I have no legs to stand on here. Yeah, no, the, the zero legs in terms of ADHD history, other than the fact that we have ADHD and we both are really into researching historical things. And so when you combine those two things, you're like, what did people used to think of this? And I'll tell you, it's not great. It's not optimal. There, Well, people have been saying that ADHD is a thing. Contrary to popular belief, it was not a new disorder in like the 90s? The, the 80s, I the think, 80s. is when it was officially coined as ADD. It is much older than that. There is evidence that we have in medical writings up to 250 years ago, and there's even some evidence that people like Hippocrates mm-hmm. were categorizing sort of these different ways of thinking. Right. We've always been like this. It's not a new thing. There's a lot of evidence that like, I, I guess that's the other thing too, right? We should, we should say that we're coming from a place where the two of us, from the research that we've done and our own personal experiences with ADHD, as they've shown us, ADHD is a physiological disorder. It is not anything to do with your morals or your, you know, lack of discipline or your upbringing. Your willpower, your moxie. As far as science has any say in it, it has nothing to do with that. Does it sometimes result in behaviors that are linked to those sorts of moral assignments? Judgments? Yes, it can. But generally, the study of ADHD or, you know, what we know today as ADHD has commonly been done on young white boys. And so there's some interesting paths to be crossed there. Uh, I'm going to let Jordan take it away, but I just wanted to add that precursor that we are working on the assumption and knowledge that this is a physiological difference in our brains. And this is not some sort of laziness or, yeah, no, it's- We have a lot of history and
1: a lot of investigation and a lot of understanding that we can stand on and have the lens to view through here in 2020, but- Back in 1775, which is one of the first written acknowledgements of symptoms matching ADHD. They are in a textbook by the German author Melchior Adam Wyckard. Sorry for my German pronunciation. I'm sure my ancestors are rolling in their graves right now. But he studied some children and described a set of symptoms that look. Pretty similar to how we understand ADHD today. And Lex, you have Mm. some quotes from him and what he thought of folks like us,
0: don't you? Yeah, uh, I have some some quotes and also just some examples of what these quote-unquote symptoms are and what they've been perceived as for a while now. So, he characterized the disorder as distractible by anything, even a person's own imagination, taking more effort to complete tasks, flighty, careless, work has many errors, and generally disorganized. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty on point. Yeah, he he kind of got us. Uh, He did only hint at impulsivity, so this would be more related to what we know now to be inattentive type ADHD. But the thing that he attributed all of these problems to is... (laughs) Tell us. What did he... What was his theory? And I quote, The fibers too soft or too agile and can also cause the fact that they lack the necessary strength for the constant attention. What did he think would fix that? So here's the thing fibers. You're probably wondering, did these people just not eat their Wheaties? Like, what is he saying? He blamed upbringing for the lack of ability of the quote unquote fibers. He was talking about moral fiber, not like food fiber. Yeah. So, not like they didn't eat enough raisin bran. Yes. And if he did believe it was a physiological issue, he said that the physiological problems were caused by a lack of moral fiber as a result of their upbringing. <laughs> that is a pretty
1: cold take. Melky or Adam card. Try again later.
0: His cures were interesting too. Yeah. Do you want to hear some of those? I would love Do to. Do you want to know what we're supposed to be doing right now to cure our ADHD? Is it making a podcast? Because that's what we are doing. Sure. No, (laughs) he recommends removing distractions, being left alone in a dark room, so, you know, Mm -hmm. okay. But this is not an ethical practice and is not recommended, so instead he also recommended rubbing, cold baths, steel powder, uh, something called cinchona or cinchona, mineral waters, horseback riding, and gymnastic exercises. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. I mean, I could see, like, horseback riding and
1: gymnastics as a, like, here's a way to get some of your energy out. But, sorry, rubbing? Yeah. Does yeah. he say what? No, it just says <laughs> rubbing. Great. That's, that is horrifyingly nonspecific.
0: Yes, I will say, the Wikipedia article about oh, this man says, the majority of these cures are rubbish. <laughs> But removing distractions and exercising are currently used to temporarily lessen symptoms and increase productivity, which is true. Sure. Uh, But just in case you were wondering, steel
1: powder just existing is not going to cure your ADHD.
0: I'm wondering if maybe you rub with the steel powder. Rub what? I'm assuming it's like... Like your brain? I mean, I'm assuming when people say, like, rubbing in old-timey language, I think that's, like, a massage, right? Or, like, not necessarily as, like, relaxing as a massage, but, like, actually physically rubbing your skin and your body to increase blood flow. Okay. I'm assuming that's what that means. If he meant it in a weird way, then, you know, maybe. I mean, there are weirder prescriptions. I will say, I guess, given the time period, that actually could be quite possible, considering, you know, when you look at the history of things like hysteria, a lot of the treatments for people was uh, the doctors would just assault them. Yep. For those of you
1: listening or reading along at home, don't rub yourself there or anywhere else with steel
0: powder. I thought you were going to say, like, bar none, don't rub yourself. And I was like, I mean, you can do what you want.
1: <laughs> yes, I am the inventor of graham crackers. I encourage you to never think in pure thoughts. That's a, That's my PSA for was the that,
0: day. Was that Kellogg? I believe so, is Dr. Kellogg. Yeah, Dr. Kellogg was really against the uh, masturbation aspect of life, so...
1: We can't, though, like we said, we are not medical professionals. Cannot say for the positive or the negative how that will affect your ADHD. So,
0: uh, your mileage may vary on that one? Yeah, no, we can't tell you to do or not do any of these things. I would hope that you don't do a lot of them, because we are going to be telling you some weird things. Oh, it gets...
1: it continues to be weird. It
0: does. Next up in ADHD history, we have... Tell me more. I'm just enthusiastic.
1: You should be, because we have a very fun character who comes onto the scene named Fidgety Phil. Fidgety Phil? Fidgety Phil was written by Heinrich Hoffman. Hoffman? 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 Heinrich Hoffman. Flamio Hoffman. In 1844, there is a fun little poem... It's not little, it's actually kind of long, so I'm not gonna read the entire thing to you. But the basic plot is that there is a Phil and he fidgets. And he knocks his chair over and pulls dinner onto the floor, as we've all done. You, you know, know? None of us are
0: perfect. Classic symptom of ADHD falling Ruining out of dinners and pulling tablecloths off of tables. And
1: his parents are very upset about it, which I would be too if somebody ruined my dinner. It's called being hangry, and I am. Most of the time. I was like, do we need to stop? Do we need to get you a snack? (laughs) We're gonna take a quick snack break. Be right back. B-R-B. Alright, great snack break. He wrote this poem of Fidgety Phil, who is described with a lot of the things we now attribute to ADHD. And while he was not a doctor, we do see his continued influence in characters like Dennis the Menace and Calvin from classic Calvin and Hobbes being based on this character, of Fidgety Phil, and that sort of stereotype of ADHD of the young hyperactive boy. Back to some science and some medical professionals, we get to 1798. That's actually backwards. I don't know how time works, but... Time is a flat circle. Time isn't real. I don't understand how it works. I don't know what day of the week it is. But I do know that in 1798, Sir Alexander Crichton, who was a Scottish physician, published a book called An Inquiry into the Nature and Origin of Mental Derangement, comprehending a concise system from the physiology and pathology of the human mind and a history of the passions and their effects, which he wrote based on his observations of a medical tour of Europe. And in this book, he describes something that we in the modern day would have probably
0: recognize as ADHD. Wait, well, hold Can you imagine? Just real quick. Just close your eyes. Take a little trip with me, right? Paint me a picture. So I'm just trying to imagine a medical tour of Europe. Like, that's mm-hmm. the vacation that this dude picked. Different strokes for different folks. Whatever butters your parsnips, Sir Crichton. He just really wanted to look at people who were behaving in ways that were not deemed correct by society. And that was his vacation. Just wanted to... <laughs> Just relaxing on the beach, looking over at someone else and being like, oh, that's
1: messed up. That's am I'm just like imagining
0: a... like, hey dude, uh, I can't wait to see some of the pics from your vacay. And then he's like, <laughs> uh, actually, I can't put any of those on Facebook because they are all of children who were behaving kind of strangely, maybe erratically. And then people are like, oh, okay... Like, can you imagine? Like, I bet people in the th- at the time were like, that's this like man? Olympic level people watching. That's one word for it. It sure is. Anyways, but he so. had
1: a lot of words mm-hmm. about some people who had some things going on with them. And he described the condition he observed of uh, Wesley. The morbid alterations to which attention is subject may all be reduced under the two following heads. First, the incapacity of attending with a necessary degree of constancy to any one object. And second, a total suspension of its effects on the brain. So he described this inattentiveness, as we would call it now, this distractibility, as "...the incapacity of attending with a necessary degree of constancy to any one subject almost always arises from an unnatural or morbid sensibility of the nerves, by which means this faculty is incessantly withdrawn from one impression to another." Sounds familiar. "...and may be either born with a person, or it may be the effect of accidental diseases." When born with a person, it becomes evident that at a very early period of life and has a very bad effect. That's a technical term there. Very bad. Inasmuch as it renders him incapable of attending with constancy to any one object of education, but it seldom is in so great a degree as to totally impede all instruction. And what is very fortunate, it generally diminishes with age.
0: I'm going to be real. With you, Jordan, and with our audience. Mm-hmm. I totally zoned out for most of that <laughs> because it's, you started with big medical words and then I heard very bad and I was like, huh? And then it went back into the medical words and I just, I felt my eyes glazing. And this is not on you, obviously, but like, dude, could you have made it any worse for people with ADHD to read about the ADHD <laughs> symptoms you've written down? <laughs> (laughs) Not accessible content. This was not not for us. By any
1: means. I could try and do it in a really bad Scottish accent if that would make it more interesting to listen to. No. Great. Thank you for sparing me that.
0: Yeah, I think I would laugh for like a second and then as soon as you got the hang of it and got into the groove, the same thing would be way worse. (laughs) I would just be like, oh, I am zoning out, but mysteriously I can hear bagpipes in the distance.
1: I'll I'll edit those in over or under my description of that. We'll just have a little Donnie boy serenading us in the background so we know he's Scottish. <laughs>
0: Incredible. So these were the earliest mentions? That was
1: one of the earliest descriptions of it. And that one is interesting because he does say it may be born with a person or it may be the effect of accidental diseases. So he's not attributing it to a personal failing of just mm-hmm. like you suck and you can't pay attention.
0: Mm-hmm, That's
1: mm-hmm. bad. A counterpoint.
0: Yes. Hippocrates. Hippocrates talked about ADHD. Go ahead. Yeah. What did he say about ADHD? What do you not think?
1: I was gonna say, yeah, it is a bit hypocritical that he didn't write this to be accessible to ADHD people, but Mm, I
0: see, I see. But Hippocrates, considered the father of medicine, right? Oh,
1: that, okay, that one. Gotcha, gotcha, the dude.
0: I just want to add this little counterpoint, and I will say, most people who study ADHD now don't recognize this (laughs) as being the first mention of ADHD, but some people, myself included, think it's kind of cool to attribute it to Hippocrates because, you know, he had a lot to say about a lot of things, and he was super not right about most of them. He took a big old swing, though, and I respect that. Yeah, big swing and a miss on that one, but this is a pretty interesting one. So you know, he lived in ancient Greece. If you don't know who Hippocr- who, if you don't know who Hippocrates is, you know, go check him out. He's got albums on Spotify. No, I'm just kidding. Uh- <laughs> hit him you know, up on Soundcloud yeah uh, Hippocrates he lived in Greece in ancient Greece from like 460 to 375 BC BCE for those of you who want to get all technical historian on me he was known to have made at least one reference to patients who could not keep their focus on anything for long and had exceptionally quick quick reactions to things so like they were very easily stimulated to the point of distraction and the the cause that Hippocrates attributed this to was an overbalance of fire over water And so he recommended a bland diet and that you only eat fish and no other meat uh, and that you would get lots of physical exercise, which, you know. So it all comes back to
1: gymnastics and graham
0: crackers. Yeah. He was just like, oh yeah, just eat paleo and, uh, you know. (laughs) I'm on the paleo diet. Yeah. Eat paleo and swim. Because one of those things is okay advice. Well, I mean, some people do need to be on the paleo diet. That's fair. But generally you don't, you don't need that. I mean, okay. We can't say that technically. Talk to a nutritionist. Talk to a nutritionist, not a dead ancient Greek guy, about your dietary habits. Yeah, but it is interesting because it is kind of fun to be like, "Oh, we're more fire than water." I would love to be a firebender. That sounds amazing. Exactly. Oh um, yeah. <clears throat> mark two times that we've mentioned Avatar in this <laughs> in this episode already, and showing no signs of slowing down. Nope. You know where our priorities lie. Anyway, so keep keep telling me more. So I just yes. I just want to make that counterpoint, right? Because those two sources, Sir Andrew and uh, Mer- 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 Mike. 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 German Mike. German Mike. German Mike. Melchior. Yes.
1: Yeah, Melchior. Like the
0: character from Spring Awakening, if that helps any of you. Other awful theater people remember that. She did get a theater degree. Please do not give her too much grief over that one, folks.
1: Don't give me too much credit for it, either.
0: So, yeah, but Melchior and, uh, Sir Alexander or Andrew? Alexander. Yeah, so they... I'm great with names. They are <laughs> That working of... memory
1: that we both have sp- in spades, yes. right?
0: Yes, uh, but those two, you know, they are considered to be sort of the earliest known mentions of ADHD type symptoms. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to add that little counterpoint that, like, Hippocrates was there too, you know. Yeah. Because he had a lot to say about everything. And it included something that people think sounds like ADHD. Love that. We've always been
1: here. Moving on, a lot of people know about Sir George Still. He was a British pediatrician and he contributed to some of the early studies of ADHD. When he took a look at a group of children he was researching, he identified... And these are his exact words for the symptoms that these children were displaying. Passionateness. Spitefulness. Jealousy. Lawlessness. Dishonesty. Wanton mischievousness. Shamelessness, immodesty, and viciousness.
0: I don't see what's so funny here. These are all symptoms that I clearly display. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but wanton mischievousness. Yeah, is it like wanton, like the sexy version of the word, or is it? Like no, it's when just stealing write... everyone else's dumplings. I was gonna say, is it like the fanfic version of wanton, <laughs> when people just write wantons? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did he
1: did spell it in the more shakespearean context.
0: I <laughs> mean <laughs> like wanton mischievousness that makes sense. It does, but he chooses such judgmental words. He chooses Not such subjective. I mean, yeah, he he sounds like a total dick, like let's be real, but Well, here's the thing. Is
1: he attributed
0: all of these to what he calls an abnormal
1: defect of moral control in children? So he was basically like, interesting.
0: All of these children are these children are evil sinners. These children are just awful. And like, have you met kids? They're doing their best. They are. They're tiny humans with very low brain cognition. So Very
1: big feelings, very small head. Yeah,
0: big heart, head empty. I relate. <laughs> is what I'm I trying to say, say here. I
1: am 25 years old and my heart is big and my head is empty. Yes. So I guess he wasn't completely wrong. But again, we're going back to that just like, You have ADHD because you're a bad person and you need to try harder sort of take, which is a very cold take indeed. Ice cold. All right, all right, all right. We're the worst. So now that we have this sort of set of symptoms that we see often in children all together, we start investigating it and we start going, why are these things related? Why are these things happening if it's not just because you suck as a person? <laughs> why are these kids evil? <laughs> why are children evil? That's going to be a hell of a grant proposal to try and write. Oh boy. But we have in 1922, Alfred F. Treadgold, Ooh. who is at this point Britain's leading expert on mental impairment impairment comes in with actually a pretty warm take and he suggests that behavior patterns are from physiology likely a difference in the brain or in some cases brain damage rather than character flaws or lack of discipline Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's a step in the right direction i'll take that over just being immoral any day yeah yeah and you can be both for what it's worth yeah only one of those things i am proof Hey, both is good. Oh, But all that to say then, based on that research, in 1923, a man named Franklin Ebaugh is studying children with, I'm gonna butcher this again, I'm not a medical professional, so forgive me for the sounds that are about to come out of my mouth, but encephalitis lethargica, I think? Encephalitis lethargica, obviously. Duh. My... (laughs) I'm just too immoral to be able to process that like a person with a normal brain, apparently. But Franklin Ebaugh was studying children who had survived encephalitis. You can do it.
0: You can do it.
1: Franklin Ebaugh was studying children who survived a brain condition and found some evidence in that ADHD can arise from a brain injury. So we have a little bit more support for... It being a difference in the structure of your brain and the way that your
0: brain works. Mm-hmm. Interesting take that it must be damage. Like this kid just got kicked in the head with a steel Foot. toe boot, and now they have ADHD. I can uh, I can say that's not what happened to me. I have no evidence of that.
1: Yeah, I have not explicitly been kicked in the head,
0: but I did run
1: into a door frame very significantly as a child. So maybe that was it.
0: I mean, maybe, but, like, most kids are gonna have some head trauma. This is true. It's just not gonna be, like, Ari Aster-level head trauma. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a rite of passage. It is, though. Like, kids falling is a part of learning. Yeah. That's, like, a a developmental stage. It is. They fall a lot, and And then they learn how to not fall.
1: Learn how gravity works.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Life is hard when you're a kid. Everyone thinks you're evil and stinky and sticky.
1: And then you fall down a lot.
0: And you hit your head. And And then Ari Aster takes a giant mallet and cracks it open. (laughs) I thought that only happened to the old people. Yeah, it's true. It only happens to the old person. So you've got a bit before
1: Ari Aster's coming for you, kids who are listening to this. Yeah,
0: precisely 72 years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You've got a while. You don't have to worry about that for a bit. So in 1952, we get the very first edition of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical... Wow. You're doing amazing, sweaty. (laughs) is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It is used by mental health professionals to diagnose disorders. It has what's considered the official description of things. It's what your insurance uses when you get diagnoses. It's what doctors who get paid to do this sort of thing use. Mm -hmm. It's like the brainworms' Bible. Ooh, that's a take. I'm proud of it. So in 1952, we get the first edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is a big book of brain worms.
0: Yeah, you just open it, there's no pages, only worms. Only worms, and it's sort of- That's actually how you get your neurodivergence is someone will come around, like the stork, right? A stork comes to your door with a book, opens it, the worms pour out, go in your ears, into your brain, and then you have the ADHD.
1: Well, what happens is you have to slam the book shut and then open it again and do some like divination on the worm guts to tell you what you got. Because that's what the book does, is it tells you how these mental disorders work and the classifications and the symptoms, and it's sort yeah, of the official
0: document. That's what the government's telling you to cover up the fact that they're just putting worms in our kids' ears. It's a conspiracy.
1: And the stork's not real either.
0: <laughs> Stork is actually an acronym for scary technicians owning. R. R. No. Owning rancid kid stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> So the stork brings
1: you the DSM. Yeah. And while you're looking through it, it goes back to get its batteries changed. And in the DSM, you can find what is considered the official definition of a lot of mental disorders. It's what psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists use. It's what is usually used to actually be able to prescribe you medication, especially if that medication is controlled. It's the big reference book so that everybody knows what we're talking about when we say a certain disorder. That came out in 1952, the very first version, and did not include anything like ADHD. But you know what it did have? What did it have? A catch-all term. Oh boy,
0: I'm sure that was effective and informative. What was it? Minimal brain dysfunction, which was (laughs) suggesting that a child showing hyperactive behavior had brain damage, even if no physical signs of it appeared. Great. So that was just a fancy word for brain worms. Yes. Great. Great. Yeah, so, worth noting, because I'm sure some of you are wondering, when did the meth come in? Uh, Because amphetamines are currently used as a very, very common and popular and well-known... And effective. And and very effective treatment for ADHD. So, benzodrine uh, and amphetamine was first approved by the U.S., Food and Drug Administration, otherwise known as the FDA, in 1936. And then, in 1937, Dr. Charles Bradley, not to be confused with Texas-based late singer, songwriter, performer, Charles Bradley, RIP, you were such a cool person, but Dr. Charles Bradley, a psychiatrist at a home for children with emotional problems, he gave Benzedrine to some of his patients to treat really severe headaches, and it did nothing. Did shit all for the headaches, y'all. It it just... No, oh, go. Did not help with the headaches. However, However, he realized all of the people, like all of the children who he gave this amphetamine to were behaving better and paying more attention to their schoolwork uh, and they had higher academic performance. And about half of those children were actively subdued by the amphetamine, which is actually a pretty common reaction if you have hyperactive ADHD or combined type. If you have any sort of hyperactivity, generally, if you take amphetamines, it will make you sleepy at first. So like for me, I popped my first instant release Adderall pill and 20 minutes later I was passed out on my bed <laughs> and not just racing around and doing stuff like a, I don't even, like
1: a, a neurotypical person yeah. who takes amphetamines. Yes,
0: yeah. So and I know that things like Ritalin and Benzedrine is not actually in use anymore, but things adjacent to it like Ritalin and Adderall are used commonly by college students. Actually, second most used drug to marijuana. Mary Jane. Uh, the good guy. (laughs) Uh, The idea of Adderall and Ritalin making someone really, really intensely hyper and weirdly focused and staying up all night, like how it's considered to be a study drug, that's not actually how it affects people with ADHD brains. It just gets us to a normal level of functioning. And often calmer. Yes. Very interesting to think about that this dude was like, oh, here's some meth for your headache. And it didn't do anything for the headache. But then he was like, hold on or something here and then no one did anything about that study until the 50s and 60s
1: anyways so after ritalin is approved by the fda in 1955 herbert fried and charles piefer which is (laughs) a last name i shouldn't laugh at because i'm an adult they study the use of Thorazine on what they call hyperkinetic emotionally disturbed children. And then in 1963, C. Keith Connors comes out with a study on the effects of Ritalin,
0: which I guess we had approved earlier just for fun, just for kicks. I mean, there was like cocaine in soda for a long time. So I feel like we shouldn't be too surprised. Yeah,
1: no. But it wasn't until seven years later that they actually test it in what Dr. Connors calls emotionally disturbed. Children.
0: Mm -hmm. And what year was
1: that? That was in 1963. Okay, okay. And then in 1967, the National Institute for Mental Health awards its first grants to study the group of symptoms we would recognize as ADHD. And then the following year, the second edition of the DSM is published. That's 1968. And it includes both. An updated name for the catch-all of Organic Brain Syndrome, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is out of date now, but I'm pretty sure you can still buy at Whole Foods. Uh And what they call Hyperkinetic Impulse Disorder. And that sounds like what would happen if I drank the soda with cocaine in it. Hyperkinetic Impulse Disorder makes me sound like an X-Men, like I can shoot metal out of my fingers or something. Absolutely. I would so much rather have that than ADHD. Yeah. That sounds way cooler. Yes, We peaked in 1967, folks. Nope, 68. 68, thank you. 1970, we get into some of the quote-unquote controversy that surrounds ADHD, especially in students because the Washington Post published a story describing how they reported 5-10% to of all school children in a sample in Omaha, Nebraska, well actually all of Omaha, Nebraska, were receiving stimulants like Ritalin to control their behavior. What this article didn't really explain is that those statistics only referred to kids in special ed programs, and it also implied that a lot of the parents of those kids were coerced into medicating them. So that's where a lot of the bigger backlash against giving kids meth.
0: Yeah, and I think worth noting too, right? Like, this is the beginning of the 70s, the end Mm -hmm. of the 60s, so there was a lot of research being done on drugs in general. Right. And so there was a bit of a mass, I don't want to say mass hysteria because I don't like that term, but I don't know what other word to use for the mass panic. about drugs, about psychedelics, about stimulants, about depressants, about pretty much everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see that swing that leads us to some other policies later on that have impacted us to this day. But yeah, so I I think that's interesting too, how it kind of seems to correlate with that moral assignment to people who use drugs as delinquent or other or... Going back to that morally corrupt Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, these parents are being forced to give their kids it's meth and these kids have to take meth they must oh this is just all bad it's all bad and my pearls i'm clutching them you can't mm -hmm, see that because mm -hmm. this is a podcast
1: but they're being clutched yes i think it's interesting too right like that the timing of that the timing of that is very in sync it is it is Uh, It's not till 1980 we are still in, in the swing of this reaction to drugs, but we get the third DSM, and that changes, unfortunately, hyperkinetic impulse disorder to the more commonly known attention deficit disorder, which had two categories, with hyperactivity and without you, so you can get hyperactivity on the side, no salt, or just have your own your own ADHD, your own ADD. In 1987, we actually get the words, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder Woo! in the DSM. Yeah. In that order. Yeah. The thing is though, is that hyperactivity, impulsiveness and inattention all appear as symptoms under one ADHD, and they are not classified as separate types of the disorder. We don't have the idea that. most psychiatrists prescribe to now of hyperactive impulsive type or inattemptive type or combined type ADHD until the year 2000. So we survived Y2K and we get a diagnosis. That's a win-win. And as we've mentioned before, there's still a lot of things that we don't know about ADHD, I'm sure in maybe even five years or 10 or 20 or 30 or... However many will look back and be like, we call kids attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? What the
0: heck? But who knows? Yeah, I mean, I don't develop. think we call kids ADHD, but we said that kids had ADHD. <laughs> I don't... If you're calling a kid ADHD, why? Why? Hey, ADHD. I mean, I got called worse things in school, but... I mean, well, that implies that it's an insult, but I just have a quick clarification here, right? So we talked about a little bit how the, in like the 20s and 30s, scientists started seeing that it was a physiological problem, right? Mm -hmm. And then that was like officially stated in the 60s and 70s, like this is a physiological difference in how the brain works, Right. Yes. But then we definitely swung backward on that as a culture Mm -hmm. because today there are still plenty of people who believe that it is not a physiological difference Mm -hmm. in brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. It is interesting. To see that people have been studying and doing the research and putting in the work to show that it's a physiological difference in neural pathways and brain chemistry. And there's still people today Mm -hmm. in the year 2020 Mm who who believe that it is a moral failing.
1: It's not, de
0: facto. Again, we're, we're not medical professionals, but we do know that much, it's not.
1: We do know that there are medical professionals who have the evidence to prove that it is not. We also have the brains in question. So despite all of that, we are still making headway in ADHD research. There's a lot we don't know, as we've mentioned before, but there are some wonderful people who are dedicating their lives to this kind of research.
0: The other fun thing, though, is that there are a lot of people who have started researching how psychedelics and ADHD interact. That's
1: uh, That sounds like a one-way ticket to the hyperfixation station. Yes, it
0: is, so we might as well head on down there now. Well, I have one thing for you first, and that is... Oh
1: over the course of the illustrious history of ADHD. Yes. We have accumulated a lot of names for this collection of symptoms. This specific way of your brain working. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on them. Yeah, like absolutely. Is this a game? It is. And it is a game that you might already know. It's called Hot or Not.
0: Absolutely. I do know this game. I am so ready. We have played this game in reference to U.S. presidents. Barack Obama was the hottest. Rightfully so. Rightfully so.
1: But I would like to know whether you think, these historical names for ADHD are fresh and sexy or no.
0: Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. So Hit me. Starting from the top. All right. Brain injured. I mean, it's not, doesn't have a zing to it. And it implies that, I mean, it, like brain injured. It, okay. Eh. Pass. Like not completely ugly, but maybe like a, ugh. like a four, like
1: a three or four. Okay. <laughs>
0: This is this is fun. This is great. This is great. Uh, this is a great unproblematic game. I was about to refer to brain injured as the butterface of this list. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't use that term. It's very cruel. It's very cruel. Definitely shows my age for sure. But we're not judging people. We're judging. No, we're judging people's
1: th- takes on th- our brains. So I true, feel like we're a little true. justified in that. Okay, but that's a not for that's brain not. injured. That's okay. Not. We're gonna get a little more specific here and go brain damaged child. That's a definite no. That's a definite no. Like, is it a little spicy? Yes, but not in a fun way. Okay, hard not for brain damaged child. We have. I will say not to not to weight the scales here, but my personal. Opinion. Favorite. Okay. Hyperkinetic impulse
0: disorder. Yes, we have heard how you want to shoot metal out of your fingertips, which is to. so valid. Thank you. Definitely hot. You don't even need to sway me on that one. For it sure. is 30 flirty and thriving.
1: Moving yes. on, we have hyper excitability syndrome.
0: That sounds kind of fun. Yeah. Syndrome yeah. makes it sound a little dark and mysterious. Yeah. But like hyper excitability, that's kind of fun. Not really painting a super wide swath, but a very colorful one. Yes, yeah, so I'm mm-hmm. thinking like carnival, but it's haunted.
1: Ooh, love you know? a haunted carnival. Exactly love that for us,
0: right? So I would definitely put that in hot.
1: That one's hot. Yeah, wonderful. Next, we have clumsy child syndrome.
0: I want to say not, but it very much applies to me as a child. <laughs> So I don't want to say that I wasn't cool, you know, Mm -hmm, I was, mm -hmm. I was pretty fresh and uh, not sexy because children are not sexy. That is disgusting, disgusting. but I was definitely fresh and spicy, fresh and spicy. Okay. So I I would, I would personally put that in hot, but I can see that, you know, generally in terms of referring to a child, that's not me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that. Like honorarily hot. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like hot because I can relate. (laughs) Hot in a spicy way, not hot in a sexy way. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: So we're on, we're just on the Scoville scale now, not the, like, attractiveness. Yeah. Noted. Okay. okay. We're going to stay on the Scoville scale for this one because we mentioned child again. We've got hyperactive child syndrome.
0: Yeah. Eh. Eh. Yeah. Not. Not. Okay. It's not
1: as fun as the others. That's fair. This one I think is pretty spicy. We have
0: hyperkinetic reaction of childhood,
1: which sounds a little bit like a late 80s band.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely a song by Fall Out
1: Boy. Oh, absolutely. All right, next on the list we have Minimal Brain Dysfunction. Yeah, all right,
0: hot or not? Not. It's pretty not. boring. Okay. I don't know. It's not very fresh or sexy to me. It is not.
1: After that we have Organic Brain Disease.
0: I do like the idea that a brain disease can be something considered, A, a disease, and B, organic. Is the disease that your brain is organic? Yeah, like, it's it's definitely been, uh, (laughs) grass-fed, it's cruelty-free, no antibiotics. Free-range brain disease. Yeah, when you say free-range brain disease, I do think that's hot, (laughs) but organic brain disease, probably a no from me. That's a
1: no from Lex. Last, but certainly not least, nervous child. Yeah,
0: yeah. Maybe I hesitate to say hot, but but it's definitely not relatable. Yeah, it's so relatable. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in on that one. All right, nervous child for the
1: win. Another good band name too.
0: All right, yeah, for sure. All right. Oh man, thank you so much for that little diversion game, though. That was that was fun for me. (laughs) I'm glad. Uh, yeah that that was a that was a nice light family entertainment segment you just brought there so um anyways you know me i aim to please now to jump back really
1: quickly what Mm -hmm. was it you were
0: saying about hard drugs oh right okay my hyperfixation of the week is it okay if we jump into that time of the podcast lay it on me so funny you say that actually because i just learned that psychedelics are not hard drugs no no they're in this classification called soft drugs Oh, smooth and silky drugs. Yeah, like some velvety drugs. Oh, love that. (laughs) Smooth satin drugs. Tender plush drugs. Neopets plushy drugs. Love that. That seems on brand for you. Harkens back to last time. All coming together. Neopets, always on my mind. Um, What else is on your mind, though? Tell me more about these soft drugs. Yeah, uh, I will tell you all about these fuzzy, warm teddy bear drugs. So I have long had a fascination with the concept of tripping. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I guess some clarification. Psychedelics are a type of drug that includes things like LSD, uh, mushrooms, DMT, the hallucinogenic drugs that you hear about. About. Psychedelic drugs that are used in religious or spiritual or like mystical contexts, like peyote, ayahuasca, San Pedro, Peruvian torch, those sorts of natural chemicals found in the world are used in religious ceremonies a lot. And there are other people who do use them recreationally. When they're used in more of a religious context, they're not actually called psychedelics, they're called entheogenic. Hmm. So, that is a distinction I'd like to make here. When I say psychedelics, what I mean specifically is hallucinogenic psychedelics, which is a hallucinogenic class of psychoactive drug whose primary effect is to trigger non-ordinary states of consciousness and psychedelic experiences via serotonin 2A receptor agonism. So essentially, it causes hallucinations. It's the drugs that cause altered states of consciousness. The classics are like mescaline, LSD, DMT, and shrooms. Uh, I first heard about psychedelics pretty early early on, I think. I want to say probably fifth or sixth grade. Right. When I switched over to public school. Mm. I wish I was kidding. That was a big change for me, folks. I went from a very, very, very small Christian, private, very conservative uh, establishment for my first couple of years of primary school. My class size, seven. There were seven of us. Oh boy. So I went from that (laughs) to public school in fifth grade and I learned so much. About school and fifth grade things? About school and about some other stuff that I probably shouldn't say on this podcast. I know we're not technically family friendly, but... We're not explicit. Yeah. Anyways, I did learn a lot, and one of the things that I learned about was drugs, because... To say no to them, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did learn to say no to them from D.A.R.E., you know, that mm-hmm. big old lion who gives you a t-shirt when you finish the little, you know, assembly. A uh, very John Mulaney re-JJ Bittenbinder type of <laughs> assemblies happened in this, uh, in the specific relation to drugs because the county that I grew up in, in rural Michigan, for a while, I don't think the numbers are quite up there anymore, but for a while was one of the meth capitals of the country. Oh. It was like in the top five oh, cities geez. or counties. Yeah, so they did take the drug education very seriously, Mm -hmm. and my peers did not take that education seriously at all. And I didn't understand drugs. I just knew that people would say things like, yeah, they were totally tripping out, and I was like, they fell. And then people were like, no, they were on drugs. And I was like, drugs can make you fall? Like, you know, just really not making that connection. And then I eventually um, watched a YouTube video called Drinking Out of Cups. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not familiar with this YouTube video. Yeah, that's I fine. had a,
1: a more sheltered childhood than you did. That's fine. I didn't learn about drugs until high school. Wow.
0: Yeah, we, we started learning about them pretty young. Uh, I was taught that they are bad for you and do bad things and the people who do drugs are just bad. And that is not the case. I'm not gonna say whether drugs are bad or not, because that's not my place. You do what you want and what you feel safe doing, and I will do what I want and what I feel safe doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that people who do drugs are inherently bad, because that's, there's a lot of problems there. So very, very cold take.
1: But please tell me more about drinking out of cups, because I thought that I was familiar with that concept, but the way you're leading up to it, I'm wondering if I don't quite understand drinking out of cups.
0: Yeah, there was this YouTube video that came out, I believe, in 2006. So Mm -hmm. when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. It's a video. You can still find it on YouTube. It's a video of a sort of claymation looking lizard who speaks in a Long Island accent. (laughs) And the story behind the video was that this guy was on acid and tripping and locked in a closet by his friends who then recorded him as he went through his trip. Now, I believed that because that was the widely told story. Like, people still think that's what happened. And I just recently learned, and by just recently, I mean five minutes before we recorded this podcast today, that it was none other than Dan Deacon, (laughs) (laughs) singer-songwriter and pretty good music artist that a lot of people like. It was literally just a track off of one of his earlier albums in like 2003, and some other artist who was known for doing interesting music videos asked if he could animate that video. And then the weird story, I have no idea where it came from, but I just, I firmly believed that it was about a dude who had sat in a closet and tripped on acid and was voiced by a weird lizard. So here's the thing. That's very believable because when you watch the video, it's just this lizard talking absolute nonsense nonsense in a Long Island accent. Is the Long Island accent related to the acid, or was that just like No, Dan Deacon is from Long Island, I Uh, guess.
1: Okay, okay. I had questions about that. Yeah,
0: so Dan Deacon is from Long Island, and he was apparently sitting in front of a silent TV flipping through the channels and just talking out loud to the TV as As if he was having a conversation with the TV. He claims that he was not on any sort of mind-altering substances. When he did that, he was just having fun, and it was a Funny bit for him. He decided to do it in a Long Island accent and emulate that persona of kind of the Long Island asshole type dude. Okay, because he thought it was funny. All right, and then he took that recording and put it on a musical album in two thousand three. Yeah. So some of the quotes that you may have heard from this video in your time as a human being on this technologically savvy world, things like "Not my chair, not my problem." That's what I say. Or <laughs> you can laugh; it's funny. <laughs> I thought this I thought this was hilarious it's, and, <laughs> and I still do I still think it's bonkers
1: that sounds exactly like something that an old Chicago man would say about dibs
0: yeah so things like I love seahorses I love <laughs> seashells I love seahorses I love things with seahorses and seashells on them and like uh let's see uh drinking out of cups now, who's this guy think he is? Oh, Mr. <laughs> walkway. He'll walk up the walkway? Yeah, f*** you. Like, that's the... we. Yeah, so those... Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's the, the... Some of those quotes, if you have heard them, that's where they're from. And I just learned today. But here's the thing. When I was in middle school and I first watched this video, mm-hmm. I had no idea that the backstory was anything other than what the comment... Comments and description on the video or whatever Mm -hmm. said. So I really thought that was what it sounded like when someone Mm -hmm. was tripping on acid. So I developed at the same exact moment an innate fear and a deep desire to try it while going through puberty ever since then. It's just kind of come and gone, resurges every once in a while. As of late, our research into the medical history of ADHD and also watching things like Midsommar have re-engaged me in the fascination with what happens when you trip on acid or shrooms or DMT because I have a lot of friends who go to festivals and I also had a lot of friends in college who would just casually drop acid on the weekends. And I was always way too scared to try it because here's the thing. So what happens when you go on a trip is that if you take enough of these substances, because it kind of depends on how much you take, you will have a reduced sense of ego and or have a complete loss of ego. So what that means is that you completely forget... Like, your brain literally dissolves the idea that you are a person separate from the world around you. So that's why if you've met anyone who's done any of these drugs or you hear about the way people explain the effects of these drugs, they often seem pretty chill because they went through this process that is often cited as very spiritual and very emotional. And I think it's just really interesting that there's a way to literally dissolve your idea of self and reset the neural pathways in your brain. That is really interesting. It is. I'm fascinated
1: by that effect. I also have to admit, when you first started talking about it, I thought you were just going to say, it dissolves your brain. Full stop.
0: I mean. And I
1: was concerned. But I I'm mean, glad that it's not that.
0: Yeah, I don't think it does that. I'm sure that's what I learned when I was in D.A.R.E. Oh, probably. <laughs> it just dissolves your whole body. You die. <laughs> you do drugs and then you die. But that's not the case. Yeah, generally, I just think the concept of trips are really interesting. And I do spend a fair amount of time on the internet just reading either scientific descriptions of the effects of psychedelics or people's first-hand accounts of what they see when they're on psychedelics. And it's usually very entertaining. To me, but I just think it's interesting and fascinating that we have a whole art movement and cultural movement surrounding these little chemicals that can be found in different plants around the is world. Very fascinating. Yeah. I would love to know what it's like to be
1: a scientist writing that grant proposal. Yeah. Just to be like, to whom it may concern. Please give me drug money for reasons. Yeah. It's a very interesting
0: history. Right. right. Wow. Psychedelics. They're neat. That was very neat. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, of course. Also, one more time, I am not telling you that you should or should not do drugs. I just think that the idea of tripping on psychedelics is endlessly fascinating and interesting, and I spend a weird amount of time reading about people's experiences with it.
1: I spend so much time on the Reddit ambient thread.
0: I can't judge you for that at all. Yeah, no, that one's very good. I love my life! Yes. So good. So wholesome, so beautiful. What is your hyperfixation of the week though? Or of the bi-week? Speaking of wholesome and
1: beautiful, my hyperfixation of the every other week is wax seal stamp videos on
0: Instagram. For real, she told me she was gonna do this, and I still, when she started to say it, I thought she was gonna talk about wax figures (laughs) or like wax museums, and I was about to be horrified by this person that I've been living with for two years. (laughs) But that's not the case. she did tell me this beforehand. I'm just very forgetful. Continue. We'll save that one for the horror podcast because I'm deeply, deeply afraid
1: of wax museums. Me too. <laughs> but it is, is helpful that you can just melt them. This is true. It's pretty, it's a pretty easy enemy to mark. Yeah. But when
0: you do melt them it is a little visual horror. It's very, very weird. I'm taking psychic damage from that. Oh, well there you have it. Burning wax figures is more psychologically damaging than dropping acid, right?
1: I've not done either, so I cannot yeah. confirm nor deny. We do have a lot of candles though. What I can confirm yeah. is that watching wax seal stamp videos on Instagram is very soothing and it's very calm because yeah, this usually
0: is, this is a nice balance. Please bring us back to a normal calm safe place. <laughs> Please take us back from the brink that I brought us to.
1: Come with me on an audio journey of me explaining what one of these videos is like mm-hmm. because usually in the beginning there's a little tealight Or sometimes for people who are very into this, their boss level wax seal stampers, they have like a little tiny cauldron that makes their candle hotter and a little spoon that fits right in the top of it with little wax beads and pretty pearly colors that look very aesthetically pleasing together and they melt and you watch the wax melt in a nice way, not a horrifying statue way, in just a natural, smooth, sort of way and then they take that little dainty little spoonful of wax and they pour it on some very beautiful stationery usually they take one of those nice heavy old-fashioned stamps the wax stamps and they set it in the hot wax and it kind of smushes. sometimes they do this on like a piece of like a marble coaster or something like that so they can just have the wax and that's also very nice but then sometimes it's just on paper and it's on some cute stationery and a nice letter. Sometimes they use it to stick a flower to the letter and I think that's real good. And then they pull the seal off and it leaves its nice little mark and you get to see it's like a little surprise of like what it's actually going to turn out to be. And then sometimes they even paint it in the end and you get to see this very nice quaint letter. And what I love about them is it's the best of both the inherent charm of tiny versions of normal things because you have a tiny little spoon and a tiny little coaster where you're making a tiny little wax stamp.
0: Yeah, tiny things. Very good.
1: And then you get like the sensory joy of watching like stim videos you know it's it's in that genre of people with nice nails cutting up soap or playing with moon sand or it's squishing wax you can follow the tag on instagram there are people who like make wax seal stamps and stationery like this for a living and the things that they find to put wax seal stamps on blows my mind what's the weirdest thing you know it's a pretty stock standard set of stampable items but somebody did business cards which i thought was a really delightful little wax seal stamp touch in the corner i was very charmed by it and that is the thing that is bringing me serotonin this week is watching wax seal stamp videos on instagram the only downside of it is i spend a lot of time on etsy looking at stationery now
0: yeah, I mean, if you if you follow either of us on social media, especially if you follow Jordan on any sort of social media, you should know that. You should just assume that at this point. Yeah. So what of it?
1: There are so <laughs> many wonderful things
0: you can get mm-hmm. on a wax seal stamp. I mean, there's like flowers. I do have a flower one. Yep. She's a she's used wax seal stamps on letters and birthday cards and stuff for me. I yes. am. It's very wonderful, and I do also love the look of a good wax seal. Thank you very
1: much. And I will tell you about that specific wax seal. In a different episode's hyperfixation of, of the every other week. Is it just a fixation on stamps? No, it's a fixation on the classic novel,
0: *The Scarlet Pimpernel*. By Baroness right. Orczy. She is indeed as twee as she sounds, folks. Oh God. She's wearing overalls right now they, with they a striped T-shirt.
1: This was a podcast. This was our audio refuge. They didn't <laughs> need to know. Let me. To be fair, in my defense, Alexa is wearing a pastel purple tie-dyed Sailor Moon t-shirt with cargo
0: skinny jeans. So we're both consistent. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, no, she's as twee as she sounds, and I'm as much of a weeb as you probably think I am. Fair enough. Like, average amount of weeb. We're just living our
1: respective truths.
0: Thank you for sharing your very twee, lovely, pimpernel interest with us. Anytime. I say this all in love. I I love you very much. I love you too, Alex. (laughs) How are we going to end this episode? How are we going to end this episode? Oh, 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 I think I got it. Lay it on me. It's not really for you. Okay, lay it on us. Thank you, dear audience, so much for coming to this episode of Thoughts. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for tuning in. Like Jordan said, we've been going for a while today, but we just have so much fun talking. It's a blast. It's a Baja blast. Today was a blast from the past with all of our history. That's true. Yeah, thank you so much. We do know that this is not an all-encompassing history of ADHD. There are so many sources that are so varied and vast on the medical history of ADHD that we tried to just compress it into the highlights for you, you know, so that it would come in to your ears or up on a page in a way that's a bit more accessible than having to wade amongst the plethora of medical terms. Yeah, if you wanted to read the book's, We figure you would have just read the books. We wanted to make it nice and easy. And speaking of easy, you know what's really easy? What's really easy? Pushing that subscribe button. Uh, Click, click. Yee! You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other places cool people listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Carisha Perito for our fantastic cover art design. You can find her at PetalHop on Instagram. What's that spelled like? It's spelled like P-E-T-A-L-H-O-P. Thank you so much to Tom Rosenthal for our theme song, There is a Dark Place, off of his album Keep a Private Room Behind the Shop. We will have a link to that in the description of this episode and all the other episodes, actually.
1: We will also have links to our social media feeds. We are at Orlearn Parkour on Twitter. We are at W P C on Instagram and at werwpc.com. And that is our adhd history podcast we hope if you enjoyed what you heard that we will see you back here the monday after next for our very next episode that'll be episode four i think it'll be episode four episode four. Ooh, oh we're getting up into the square numbers oh boy okay this is math huh Uh, i know what numbers are that's the extent of it so let me have this i mean
0: what are numbers
1: but math letters you got me on that one well, why don't we uh, sign this one off and let our listeners go play some Sudoku.
0: Yeah. Or do some
1: mushrooms if they want to.
0: If they want to. Not my chair, not my problem. That's what I say. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs> like seahorses and seashells. I like things with seahorses and seashells on them. That's a very good bathroom aesthetic. I respect it.
1: <laughs> Classic. It's tried and true. It's true. Okay. <laughs>